Hey Hawks fans, Luke Bruce here. CJ here. Jarman here. If you love the Hawks, then you need to be connected to the Hawks Insiders. It's got all the latest news, match recaps, interviews and specialised content written by the Hawks fans for the Hawks fans. Make sure you subscribe. Get your daily dose of Hawthorne content into your inbox. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Here from Jarman MP for the Insiders. Good evening, everyone. Ashley Brown here. Welcome to Hawks Insiders Thursday Night Safe Space. Uh, we're in the dog days of the off-season. Um, not a lot of news around, but we're going to do our best to give you uh, great brown and gold content for the next little while um, as we sort of uh, slowly start anticipating the next big thing in footy, which will be the national draft. There's talk that fixture might come out before then, but uh, we'll get all that in the next uh, hour or so. Uh, joining me, as he often does, and in the driver's seat tonight, is Danny Prince. Hello, Danny. Ash, good to be with you. Looking forward to having a chat after a week off. Yes, it was so little happening last week. We thought we'd take a week off. Yeah. It was the right, it was the right time. time. If you get no, no, very hard to come with fresh takes every weekend. I think we're all uh, uh, sort of all wrought and wrung out after the uh, very hectic end of the trade period. But good to be back. Uh, and always great to talk to the uh, the world's biggest, most long-suffering Everton supporter, Darren Levine. Hi, Darren. Hi, Ash. Hi, everyone. Yeah, not not long-suffering anymore. I had a great win against West Ham on the weekend, so very much up and about this week and looking forward to the random Hawthorne topics we'll be talking about tonight. I have no clue in the agenda, so looking forward to some questions without notice. Yeah, well, uh, you can do your homework um, and a quick Google of Jeff Kennett's article, Daz, because that'll be your first... Uh, That'll be the first thing I throw to you very shortly. And Brad Klebanski. Communications guru. <laughs> That's right. Uh, hello, Brad Klebanski. Hello, all. Good evening. Good to be with everyone. Only a few more weeks to uh, draft night, which will be exciting. Who the Hawks pick with their first pick is still anybody's guess. Yes. Uh, well, I think it's down to two now. So we'll, uh, we're going to obviously go heavy in the draft next couple of weeks, but uh, it looks like it's down to two. Hawthorne's first pick from having a bit of correspondence with the draft guru just before he came on. So I think that's the way it's looking. We'll uh, we'll touch on that briefly. Um, our agenda tonight is we're going to go heavy on teams. We're going to look at the three trade teams I uh, drafted at Hawks Insiders. We'll go through them, and I'm really interested in everyone's debate. Jump on, have your say. Where did I get it right? Where did I get it wrong? And, of course, before that, we'll have a look at Brad has uh, done his – Post-trade period selection dissection, the best 22-23 heading into round one next year. That is always uh, very debate-worthy, so we'll get into that shortly as well. As always, uh, we thank you for your support of Hawks Insiders. $5 a month, $50 a year for great Hawthorne content. We really do appreciate all the support that you give us. Um, it is draft time. We're finalising our plans, but I think in most cases we'll wait till the draft is over both nights and then we'll jump on and have a say. I'll be in the draft room first night and probably the second night. We'll endeavour to bring some uh, guests to the spaces as well from inside the draft room. So we'll wait and see how that goes, but uh, we uh, look forward to we look forward to bringing all the big news around the draft from a Hawthorne perspective in a couple of weeks' time. Um, we'll jump firstly to the footy news as such. We'll jump straight to the AFLW first, I think, um, uh, boys and girls. 
An electrifying four-goal haul from Greta Bodie has propelled Hawthorne to a nail-biting victory over Hawthorne, over Port Adelaide at Kinetic Stadium on Sunday, 6-4-40 to 5-2-32 in a game that was fairly wind-affected. The Hawks made the interesting choice, um, Daddy, to kick into the wind in the first quarter, but actually it was a really smart move that paid dividends because they came roaring home. They absolutely did, and... Um, you know, I was a little bit worried there at the start of the fourth when they were getting repeat entries but not really doing anything with them. But um, Greta Bodie just sort of paid for herself, didn't she? She uh, she was fantastic and um, was a real goal threat. And just, yeah, I think when you have talent like that uh, at any level, that just knows where the goals are, especially in the, in the AFLW where goals are uh, such a premium. If you've got somebody who can you know, jag four in a game, that's an absolute match winner. So uh, she did that. And look, she wasn't alone. Um, Emily Bates was amazing as well, uh, as she always is. Kicked her first goal for the Hawks, uh, 18 touches, 13 tackles. Um, She was phenomenal. I thought, excuse me, I thought Lucy Wales was fantastic as well. In the ruck, she battled um, incredibly hard and got uh, 20, 20 touches and a lot of her touches were contested possessions. So, yeah, there was a lot to like out of that um, out of that, that game. And, you know, I feel like they made it a bit trickier for themselves than they needed to. But this is a young, developing expansion side. And I think, you know, last year, I know they beat Port last year as well, but if that was last year's team playing now, they would have lost that game today. So, you know, the experience they were able to add with uh, with Bodie and Bates have really helped them take that next step, I think. We've got the Soaring Hawks guys with us. They might as well jump on now. Good evening, guys. Evening, Chris. Liam, Liam, how are you, mate? From, uh, soaring. Yeah, going well. Um, yeah, obviously, we were elated with Saturday. Uh, or Sunday, I should yeah, say. Yeah, tell me about the game. Um, so... What what I mean we've we've got a very uh, we've got a very deep dive on Hawk Insiders about the game, but what are your two or three quick takeaways from, from that win? Uh, Greta Bodie is a star. Uh, we said on I've mentioned on the podcast I've, I've mentioned a few times on Soaring to New Heights. Actually, I'm a not so minor fan of Lucy Wales. I thought she was excellent, especially against Matilda Shells, who I think is a the generation of young rucks coming through in the AFLW right now is quite incredible. So Lucy Wales to get 16 contested possessions, 20 disposals, uh, six tackles as well was just an incredible performance. And one and a name that doesn't get talked about enough is Mackenzie Eadley, uh, 183 centimetre key defender with a booming right foot. She is fast becoming one of the most impressive young players on our list. She is a star, and frankly, she should have been nominated for the Rising Star as well as Lucy Wales this week. Um, so it's a three-win season with one game to go. Um, would you be given that? Would you be given the season a pass mark for now? Uh, yes. Last year we had the easiest draw in the competition by adjusted plus-minus, a metric I used and came up with. Uh, this year we had the third hardest draw by opponent plus-minus from last year. So our draw was night and day. We've got an improved percentage, same number of wins, but with a massively improved percentage against a much harder draw. It's probably it's hard to call that anything. Other than a success, in my opinion. What's the uh, give us the uh, the sell factor for making the schlep down the highway to watch the last game of the year against Geelong on uh, Saturday? It's a Keshmakua Schwartz last game. A fan favourite has given a lot to the competition and the club and the whole and the league as a whole. It's an opportunity to watch the crew. They only get ten games a year. It's really worth going to support them. They get another game next year. It's eleven games, but this crew are going places, and it's really, really worth getting on the getting on the bandwagon now. 
and enjoying the journey with them. It's a young crew. It's a talented crew. Get on board now and enjoy the journey. Liam, so we've got a question from um, from Patrick. Um, he said, I love games at Frankston, but with the AFLW not reaching the attendance figures, you have to ask only at getting just over 1,000 this week. Should the AFLW team be looking at playing games at Moorabbin or at the KCC, even when the full facility isn't ready to start building connection? Where should they play their home game? Really, they've played one game this year in Metropolitan Melbourne, which I think is um, a factor. You know, if, if Frankston's not the very fringe of Metropolitan Melbourne. They played the one game against the Saints. Otherwise, they haven't really seen mainstream Mel- Metro Melbourne this year. So they've been a bit off Broadway. Where where would you like to see them play this year? What's the chat amongst the sort of the, the diehard fans that where they should play their home games next year? Uh, first of all, Pat, pay the fine for mentioning the KCC again. <laughs> um, and second of all, I mean, personally, I love, I've been to Icon Park for a couple of other W games. I think it's a magnificent venue. I'd love to get some games there. Uh, but really, ground availability is probably the biggest issue facing the AFL with the comp with the W right now. And they don't seem to be making a lot of effort to rectify it. They do own a stadium. I'd love to see some marquee games at Marvel. You know, how good would it be every week you play a marquee game at Marvel? Most teams get a run there at some point. You know, fast footy, great deck. You know, good crowds. And then I'd love more central games as well. And even, you know, especially people with kids. You know, it's so hard for kids in the western suburbs, let's say, to get to a game that's at 5 o'clock on a Friday, on a Sunday in Frankston. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's just a matter of, you know, they just need to, the AFL need to make more of an effort to get, to find available grounds. And again, I've, I'm a big fan of maybe using a bit more, of, even more of Icon Park. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually, uh, I don't know what the status of uh, the Box Hill Red Development might be finished by this time next year, in which case, I no, I don't know what the status is of that. Um, that would become an option. Uh, the issue with Box Hill was the surface, and there's also cricket yeah. from October. The issue with Box Hill was the surface. It was a complete no-go with players with the surface at Box Hill. I, I reckon that they, I'm not, I think Patrick's point is not a bad one, given that Morabin's five minutes from Dingley. Maybe they just bite the bullet and play a couple of games, home games at Morabin next year. The, the ground's there. It's pretty. It's, it's sort of getting towards where the, the heartland's going to be. Good venue, great, uh, great venue for uh, for fans. I know it's St Kilda's home ground, but maybe they bite the bullet and play play there for one season, and the, and then then by twenty twenty five. I mean, Dingley won't be ready next year if it's a temporary venue, so uh, you can forget about that. Um, but I, I would think Morabin's a possibility. What do you think, Danny? Yeah, I think they've just got to try a few different things to be able to get people to the ground. Like, I, the, the the thing that killed me, I, I wanted to take my kids uh, on on Sunday afternoon, but five o'clock on what's effectively a school night. Um, you know, by the time you know we get home, it's it's eight thirty. You know, the the, the kids, are, the kids. I've got a I've got a nine year old who would be fine with it. I've got a six year old and a four year old, and I just can't. I couldn't do it to them. So um, that time slot's really tough. I think if you even brought it forward to three thirty, then it makes it far more doable for um, younger families. Um, but yeah, location wise, I think you've just got to find a bit more of a centralised location where it's a bit more easily accessible for, you know, people from all geographical locations. I think in terms of Marvel Stadium, I think the AFL decided it's too expensive to open it up at this time of year for um, for AFLW. Certainly, they've got a Paul McCartney concert there on the last week. That's going to make a bit more money, I think, than uh, opening it up for AFLW. Because so, I understand the economics. I mean, in theory, the AFL owns the ground. It should be a football stadium first, but I can understand the economics of 
of uh, why they don't open up. I'm not sure what their plans are for the finals, um, whether they'll play if Melbourne hosts the grand final. Whether Ma- Icon Park. It's definitely Icon Park, is it? Devon, yeah, they've announced the venue, home venue for every club should they win the right to host it, and every Victorian club other than Geelong is Icon right, Park. Right, okay. All right, well, Icon Park will host the grand final, which is not a bad venue, um, except for one-third of it. No, it's magnificent. Except for one-third of it having been uh, not open for spectators and a big Carlton logo, but apart from that, it goes pretty well. Okay, Lee, uh, last question. Uh, can, can they beat Geelong? Can they? Yes. Will they? Uh, if you ask my co-host, if you ask Timmy, my co-host, he'd probably say yes. Um, I'm going to have to say I don't think so, but we'll be breaking it all down regardless on Soaring Team. Yeah, no, great podcast. We always recommend it for all things AFW. The, the men's team's always hopeless down to long. They can't grab the skinny wings, so uh, I'm not sure that the AFLW team will go with it. Similar to Frankston. But what's that? It's similar to Frankston. There you go. Well, maybe they're better equipped to win than men. Liam, thanks for your time as always. No problem. Have a good Thank night, you. guys. That was Liam from the Soaring Fox podcast. Thoroughly recommend that as the first place, the only place to go for the detailed Hawks AFLW discussion. Um, Daz, you had a bit of time to think about this. Jeff Kennett has come out, a controversial column in the Herald Sun, taking the opposite point of view from Rita Panahi. Um, the less said about both of them, the better. But anyway, uh, saying that it's an absolute, the Hawthorne would be the laughing stock of the legal profession if it pays compensation to the grieved parties that being the coaches and I think some of the players as well from the uh, cultural review. If you got a point of view on all of this where do you stand? Yeah well I do now having sped read the article um, while you were talking there before about AFLW but um, yeah it, it's it's again I find myself agreeing with Jeff Kennett I don't like it but he's he's got a great point and Hawthorne, it seems, are being punished once again for doing the right thing. Uh, they undertook a cultural safety review. They worked with people. You know, it's since emerged, obviously, that you know, the, the, there's alleged issues with, with, with some of the people behind the report, but that was a reputable organisation that was recommended to a committee. Uh, the board member behind it was Ian Silk, who we all know his pedigree and experience. They undertook the review in, 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 in good faith um, and they did it the right way. Once they became aware of, of cultural safety issues, they reported it to the AFL immediately. They did the right thing. And the fact that it was leaked to the ABC, I, I don't know how that's Hawthorne's problem. And as I've, as I've said before um, on the spaces, the, the leak is really when the problem started. Um, it didn't give natural justice to any of the people involved in it, it didn't give, uh, it, it wasn't good for the victims. It wasn't good for uh, the alleged perpetrators. So that leak is the source of this issue. And it would be absolutely ridiculous if Hawthorne was, was responsible for leaking, um, you know, for, for a leak that they had nothing to do with. It was interesting to read Kenneth's piece, Daz, that he seemed to, uh, the most, he buried the lead a bit, but it was the clearest indication Yet everyone's been asking where the leak came from. Uh, this strong insinuation from Jeff Kennett's article is that the leak came from um, one of the uh, the one of the players or, or uh, parties close to the players. Yeah, that's 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 been alleged here. So saying the fa- some of the family members had apparently leaked the stories to the ABC. So you know it's 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 also the ABC's 
I'm not not questioning the ethics of the journalist involved, um, but you've got to to also do your due diligence as a publication and weigh up whether this is something that's worth putting into into the national uh, arena before everyone's had their had their say and whether they were given enough time to respond is I'm not I'm not sure but you know I don't I don't know how Hawthorne is you know is the the, the perpetrator of the leak it it just just doesn't make sense to me why why we're in the gun yeah it's it's um one suggestion I I read today on a forum was that uh, Hawthorne um wants to is willing to pay some compensation almost just to make it go away once and for all and it can have the book closed on it by you know agree the compensation pay the compensation and it's done by christmas and it's done and, 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 it's, yeah. and we move on and it doesn't drag through the human rights commission and waiting for the outcome of that and then possible civil action taken by uh legal action taken by by clarkson and fagan and burt that sort of thing yeah, and, and and I understand why they would go down that path, but as as I said, it just keeps going back to the leak, and the leak the leak denied everyone natural justice and the natural process, as Jeff said, as Jeff said of the investigation. So um, there was it was gonna uh, it, it's a trial by public as soon as it gets out there, and no one that doesn't suit anyone. It doesn't suit um, the victims of this. It doesn't suit. Uh, the alleged perpetrators. Uh, so it's yeah, it's just it, it just the way it played out was just wrong. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. We won't talk about it any longer on, on the on this particular uh, space. The annual meeting is on the horizon now as well, fourth, and that'll be in about uh, five six weeks from there. You, you would expect that it will be sorted out in time for that, and that um, Andy Gowers will explain to the members the path that they've chosen to take and. And why? So we wait for that. I mean, one thing we, we have to say at the club, it's been very transparent with all some big decisions over the last 12 months, certainly since uh, Gowers took over as president. So we, we will look forward to full and thorough explanation about that when it happens. Um, as I said, there's been no real news from the football club. The coaches trickle back. I think the coaches resume work today, being 1st of November. That was their first day back. They've got a couple of weeks before the first or fourth year players return to training, which in Hawthorne's case is probably about four-fifths of the list anyway. So you almost say that the nearly the full list will be back at training um, in a couple of weeks, which will be exciting for those who like to venture out and watch them train. Um, Sam Mitchell, a couple of photos of uh, Sam Mitchell on Oswald Hawthorne's Facebook page with Agent Hickbot over in the UK. Um, I'll refer to you, g- gentlemen, Darren and uh, uh, Danny, as the soccer gurus here. Has he, uh, what, has he done the right thing? He spent time at Tottenham and I think Manchester United. What, uh, has, he, has he picked a good team and a bad team to, to, to learn from? I'm not sure he uh, spent any time at Manchester United, but they, he definitely, uh, Hickmont uh, and Mitchell... And I saw Connor Nash in a photo there too, were uh, I think at the Manchester Derby. So, um, you know, he's been able to spend some time under Ange um, and uh, that is a really good, uh, you know, opportunity for him and um, development. I think Ange is, you know, the last two months, his first two months as a Premier League manager, uh, back-to-back manager of the month in the English Premier League. That is no mean feat. Um, that's an incredible effort. 
you know, and if he's able to look, Ange has uh, previously been part of the City Football Group, uh, which is connected to Manchester City. If he Mitchell's been able to get in with, uh, you know, even just to have conversations with Guardiola. Pep Guardiola um, is one of the greatest coaches of all time in the in the footballing landscape. So being able to pick his brain as well would be nothing other than beneficial to Mitchell and his understanding of how to coach men. You know, obviously the the sport is different, but um, you know the tactical nous, the the um, the repetition, the preparation. Um, Pep is absolutely meticulous in that way, and and Ange is a is a disciple of Pep. So um, there's some really, really, I think, interesting learnings about how they <clears throat> how they back up. And you know, when Premier League clubs are in Europe, they they play often two games a week. So it's you know Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. Um, I think that's really interesting. How do they balance their rest and recovery with their training? Um, you know, all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think I think exposure to elite environments um, and and a place like Tottenham is uh, is is a really good thing. And to see some of the the great successes early doors that Andrews had there is um, is pretty exciting. And for Sam, you know, being a Spurs supporter as well, um, it would be pretty cool just from a fan perspective. All right. So um, the fixture. Uh, is probably coming out on November 16. A bit of mail around about that. Um, good piece on Code Sports dropped by Scott Gullen this evening, trying to work out how, of course, going through the Collingwood angle. It looks like Collingwood um, will open the season against the Giants, I think they're saying, in in Sydney, on that, what they're calling either Round Zero or opening weekend. And then St Kilda have requested to play them as a home game in Round Two at the MCG, which means round one as such, which will be a Friday night game. Collingwood will unveil their premiership against a large Victorian club. So by using process of elimination, it can be only one of two teams, I think. Um, it can't be Carlton or Richmond because they played the previous night. It won't be Melbourne, I don't think, because they'll play their first game on um, Queen's birthday, in all likelihood. They'll save Collingwood Melbourne for, for Queen's birthday. Um so, I think, Brad, Collingwood's opening game of the season, uh, the unfold Premiership League against Geelong or Hawthorne. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I think it'll be interesting to see which way that at AFL goes. But Hawthorne-Collingwood, yeah, for Collingwood as a home game would be awesome for us in particular. They get a massive crowd. And history suggests the Hawks match up pretty well against uh, the Pies. So, It'd be a good time to get them. I know, you know, it'd be huge for them, you know, the an unveiling of the flag. But uh, for whatever reason, the last few years, doesn't matter where the Hawks are on the ladder, we seem to play well against the Pies. So hopefully it's us. Yeah, I, I suspect Channel 7 will have a big say in this. will probably want it to be Geelong. Um, I think the Hawks still think they're a bit on the nose with the AFL. I do know that um, Sam Mitchell is uh, meeting with... Channel 7 this week. Um, one of his first meetings when he got back from the UK was to catch up with the people at Channel 7. Uh, having a chat about them and try and sell them on uh, scheduling a few more Hawthorne games in prime time. That has been the case. We've said this before. I've said it on the space a couple of times. I've written it as well. You just think of the uh, of the Ginevan factor, Dacos v McGuinness the, and the Tom Mitchell comments, plus the fact that Hawthorne knocked over Collingwood by whatever it was, six, seven goals. Last year, it's a compelling matchup. It'd be a great 
as you say, Brad, it'd be a great first up game because Hawthorne would go into a game against Collingwood, even if in front of 95,000 mainly Collingwood Ferrells, Hawthorne would go into the game with a great deal of confidence. Absolutely. Uh, McRae and uh, Mitchell as well, you know, and obviously uh, McRae spent some time at Hawthorne as well. So a lot of stories there and it'd be, yeah, great for us. So you make some uh, good points. Hopefully it's us. And Danny, we did the podcast with Rob McCartney. He did mount a fairly compelling case for Hawthorne. He said the players would embrace it and, and they're ready for, for some prime action. Yeah, like he was pretty clear and pretty adamant that they were super keen for some blockbuster games and, you know, um, beat both the, both the grand finals. And I know we'll be sort of riding that one, riding the clutch pretty hard on that one um, for most of 2024. But, um, yeah, I look, I'm not 100% convinced we're ready to for those primetime matches. But as a Hawthorne fan, you're never, you're never going to say no. You want to play the best teams in the sort of most glamorous time slots. So if we can get a round one uh, match against the Pies, that's absolutely massive um, for, for setting up of our season. And, um, you know, yeah, I'm really keen to see uh, Finn absolutely dismantle <laughs> Nick Dacos again. So. Yeah, it's just a clarified mixed question. Round one for Collingwood will either be at, against Geelong or against Hawthorne. It won't be Geelong v Hawthorne. Geelong v Hawthorne will be locked in for round three. And I'm pretty sure it will be Hawthorne's turn to be the home team. So um, it might mean that Hawthorne's first game, first home game for the year might not be till round three as well, which will be, because uh, I'm not sure what will happen round two, if it's a Tassie or they might be in the state somewhere. But we'll wait and see. Not too long before the draw comes out. One of my favourite pieces to write every year, we'll be breaking it, I'll be breaking it down in a fair bit of depth on Hawks Insiders on the Substack. All right, let's go to Brad's uh, eagerly anticipated selection dissection. That Hawthorne's best team for round one, based on the hope there's no injuries um, between now and the start of the season. The chances are there'll be one or two. But uh, Brad, you put a lot of work into it. Um, give us your team and we'll, have, we'll throw it around. And of course, if you've got any questions or comments, please jump on and uh, have your say. We want this to be as broad a discussion as possible because you all have views. Very, very tough. I'd love people to jump in because everyone has a lot of uh, opinions for our team come round one. So I'll start from the backs. I've got um, Hardwick, Blank, um, Impey. Halfback line, Weddle, Sicily, Scrimshaw uh, with a question mark. There are a few question marks which I'll go through post naming the team. The centre line, uh, Eamon on a wing, Newcomb, Josh Ward on the other wing. Half forward line of Moore, uh, Chol. Gunston with a question mark. Full forward line, Bruce, Lewis, Ginevin or Ginevin. Rux, Reeves, Day and Nash. The interchange bench, I've got five on there. I think the AFL are going to change the rule to five. I think they're going to lose the sub and I hope uh, they do because it's the only way I see uh, McKenzie playing next season round one. I've got um, Warple, Connor McDonald. I've got CJ there as a question mark. Finn as a question mark and McKenzie as a question mark. So that's the five on the bench. Um, I think our depth is even stronger than last season. And I spoke about this a lot last season. I thought our depth last season was pretty good. Box Hill's going to have a really strong side again. I've currently got um, pick five who we have in the draft who may be a chance to play around one, depending on who we select. DGB, who I think is fighting for a forward spot with uh, Gunston. I think it'll be one of Gunston or DGB come round one. I'd like to see DGB play, 
open. It'll be interesting to see which way Sam goes. Um, then you've got the small forwards in Sam Butler, um, O'Sullivan, Bennett. There's midfielders in Henry Husswade, who I think will play a few games next season. Uh, Cooper Stevens. Um, down back, we've got Sam Frost, Seamus Mitchell, who I think is fighting for a spot with uh, CJ. Uh, D'Ambrosio is the other one. Where he plays, I think he's going to play a bit of senior footy next year, but I don't think he'll be in the side come round one if they decide to play Finn. Finn's the one I've got on the bench currently, but I think with Finn, it's going to be dependent on who we play if he plays. But Sam Mitchell seems to love him and likes the role he plays. Then we've got the likes of uh, Ramsden, Sarong, Bailey uh, McDonald as well, who is a great um, death play for down black. We played a few senior games last year and looked pretty good. Lloyd Meek will spend the year at Box Hill unless Ned Reeves gets uh, injured. Um, I think Chol will play that backup ruck and I think Ramsden will be able to earn his way into the side and can hopefully play that role as well. So it's an interesting one, but my question marks at the moment, love people's opinions, are uh, Scrimshaw down back. I know a lot of supporters think he's a lock, but I don't think Sam Mitchell does. CJ is the other one. Does he come straight back in if he's 100% fit? I believe listening to Mitchell speak last season and a lot of the other coaches, they believe CJ is absolutely in our best 22 if he's 100% fit. Cam McKenzie is the one that needs to play, but I only see him playing if... Uh, the sub rule goes and you're allowed to have an extra player on the bench. Uh, Finn is obviously a question mark as well. You know, does he play each week, depending on his role? And then you've got the likes of Gunston and uh, DGB up forward. DGB is going to be playing as a forward next season. So does he start the season in the side or does he have to earn a spot through Box Hill? All good questions. Do, uh, I find it hard to believe that Sam Frost won't be in the team round one. I mean, he, he is still, I know he's the question mark with ball in hand, Danny, but he's still the best pure one-on-one negated defender at the club. Yeah, I guess, um, I guess the biggest question is, you know, does the, the chaos that comes around Frost ball, like where's the tipping point for that, for this side? And, you know, if Blank's playing good footy, and Sicily's there, I still think that they need to have two key backs and Sicily, not one key back and Sicily as the second key back because um, that third tall full, a third tall defender role absolutely allows um, you know Sicily to play his best footy in, in, in the best and most attacking way and allows us to utilise him more effectively, both defensively and offensively. If he's asked to do a shutdown role, I just don't think he's anywhere near a as effective as he can be uh, either way. So um, Sam Frost would probably be in my side, um, but I can understand the hesitation. This space was downloaded via spacesdown.com. Visit to download your spaces today. In including him because of the chaos that he does bring. Who misses out if Frost plays? Because it probably means a scrimshaw misses yeah. out or a CJ. It probably does. Look, I would probably, and look, I hate this because I'm a big Scrimshaw fan, but it's probably Scrimshaw because of that role. Like Scrimshaw in that in the team, as you described, Brad, plays that third 
defensive role, you know, third man up, um, loose man sort of role, you'd be moving Sicily to that. I think CJ plays a slightly different role because he generates so much run off halfback and almost becomes like a, a third wingman. So I'd probably have CJ in the team ahead of Scrimshaw. Um, but I think these are good problems to have because it puts pressure on these players. Scrimshaw, CJ, Frost, they can't coast through preseason because any one of those guys coast through preseason, they're going to find themselves playing VFL early early um, rounds of, of 2024. And I think that that's a good problem to have. Um, you know, we chatted Ash uh, to Will Day uh, at the end of the year and he talked about CJ being like one of the first picked in his uh, round one team for next year. So that says to me that, you know, if somebody as uh, reputable as um, HI's own Will Day, uh, Peter Crimmins medalist, uh, has CJ in there, that's good enough for me. So um, he's going to be in my... 22 or 23. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's a tricky one. They're also best mates, so, or, or just about best mates, so it might have been a little advice in there as well. I think CJ's got a bit of work to do on the track to get back in there. Um, the one we've all jumped off is Seamus Mitchell, who absolutely looked like he belonged at AFL level when he, from, from day one, but he didn't play much the last couple of weeks before we've all forgotten about him. But uh, he's, he's some of the footy he played, and he played well against good. He played well his first game against the Giants at Norwood. He was great. Wesley and I were at that game. He played well against Melbourne on a day when not too many others did. Um, on a few four-quarter players. So um, there's a bit of, you know, as Brad says, there's actually going to be pressure on um, for selection. Brad, you haven't picked pick four. Should Question four, should have, if someone's picked a pick four or pick five is probably the case, shouldn't that shouldn't they be a walk-up start for round one when you pick that high in the draft? Depends who we select with that pick. Uh, Nick Watson is probably the one that I could see potentially playing coming off uh, the bench. Then there's obviously Zane Dersma, who we've spoken about, but I think North Melbourne are going to take him. So I know you mentioned off the top, Ash, you've spoken to someone and you think it's down to two. Who was the two? Was it uh, Watson and uh, Curtin or was it uh, Colt? Was it McKercher? I think it's. Who have you heard? I think the, the industry suggestion now is it'll be down to two for Hawthorne, Watson or Curtin. So. Yeah, so Curtin's more ke- Curtin's not a, he's not a key position though. Is he's one ninety five that can play forward or back? Uh, is that right, uh, Brinsey? No, he he can definitely play key position uh, and has done um, for the majority of his junior career or his career to date. I think the biggest question around Curtin is in interviews he said that he sees himself as a bit of a utility slash midfield tall midfielder. Um, but if you speak to most of the um, like the experts, they they sort of talk about him as a and look, you know, compare player comparisons to previous champions are always fraught with danger. But they see him as a bit of a, a Pavlich type, where you know he can play a little bit through the midfield, but can also hold down a key position where needed. So, look, I think um, you know I'm I'm not as hot as other people on Nick Watson. I would be fine if they drafted him, but if we're really looking to hit where we have like a dearth of talent stocking up in key position depth with uh with dan Curtin and will mccabe with our first two picks would definitely not be a bad idea as far as i'm concerned i'm with you for sure Prinzi. when you look at our list i've spoken about this a lot i honestly think other than north melbourne our key position depth is the worst in the league you need quality key position players and we just don't have them especially with mitch uh, lewis in the forward line 
We've spoken about he's never played more than 16 games in a season. Chol, we've picked up, um, who I think will be a decent player for us, but he's not a number one, you know, quality key position player. And we know how light we are down back. Will McCabe is going to be an excellent player. But again, he's minimum two years away off playing consistent uh, AFL football and then it falls away. Ramsden, we saw last year, played a few games. He's raw still. He's a couple of years off as well playing consistent senior football. And then there's no, we don't really have it, anyone else. And uh, down back, we've spoken about it. James Blank's our only current fullback, you know, big fullback. Sam Frost can play fullback, but there's no one else. So if we got the ability to get someone who's rated, you know, as highly as a Curtin that can play forward or back in that role, I think you take him. Um, now there was some talk on SEN um, this evening or during the day that um, Tony Bamford, who is the South Australian under 18 coach, said Hawthorne may be getting a gem in Wilbur Cape. Um, he said that he um, can play either of the ground. Using the back on this year, um, he said Hawthorne will get, get a really good player there. So, a bit of excitement there where that changes things. It's really the, the heart, the head would say Curtin is the sort of player Hawthorne need, but the heart would say that uh, Watson, because he's an excitement machine, Curtin's not going to win games for you, Darren, but a guy like Watson could. Absolutely, but uh, Jack Ginnaman uh, can too. So, we've got, we've got that X factor now that was lacking um it's been lacking for a few years now and um i'm not as kind of excited about watson as as i may have been i think if we hadn't had brought uh Ginny into the club then maybe um i'd be more hot on watson but Curtin feels to me like the logical choice and i think even if you you look at how Husway is developing and i don't think anyone really you know that that he was a, a kind of late pick i don't think anyone was sort of expecting him to come on the way he has. He looks so comfortable at AFL level. He's um, got some traits that I think, uh, you know, are, are really special as well. So um, our midfields, midfield stocks look absolutely flush at the moment. So I would I would be investing in a key position player. And also, um, you've got to look at Luke Bruce. How many more years does Luke Bruce have, Danny? One, maybe two. I mean, you've got to sort of start playing for like after Luke, Luke Bruce as much as we all uh, can't imagine it. Yeah, it's the reality, isn't it, of, of, you know, we don't have many of them, but these senior players, they don't last forever. And um, Bruce and Gunston, you know, looking at the list demographic are the ne- most likely two next two off the list um, from an, a retirement perspective. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be against uh, drafting Nick Watson if uh, the Hawks deem him as the best player available. I have some, I have some concerns, and I've voiced this before, He's very small, um, and I don't think there's been a player that small drafted that high in the draft before. Um, so you're sort of going into uncharted territory a little bit. That worries me. Um, you know, some people will say that you know drafting a player uh, at that height that that his height in his role is um, is beneficial to the way he plays and it's actually a, like a, a positive point. Others will say, you know, it's untried. We don't know. You know, Caleb Daniel's proven to be a, a really good player, but Caleb Daniel was uh, an elite, talented kid who slipped in the draft because of his height. So, um, yeah, look, I've got a couple of questions around Watson, but what I will say is 
if you watch him play, everything that he's done to this point has been absolutely elite. And I think if he was, you know, 10 centimetres taller, we'd probably be talking about him on the same level as somebody like Harley Reid. So, you know, the talent is definitely not a question. Um, and if they sort of anticipate Bruce... Um, is gonna is gonna maybe only play one more year, then they might jump the gun and give uh, draft Watson and give him a year sort of learning from the master. And you know who better for these players like Ginnivan uh, and and you know Watson, but also Bennett's and and O'Sullivan to be able to learn from and Butler. Um, then you know somebody like Luke Bruce who's been there, been to the uh, the absolute pinnacle. Uh, the summit of of all things small forwards and in terms of team success as well and uh, just constantly delivered and kicked another 40 goals um, as a, what, 32-year-old this year in a forward line that was, I'm going to say, utterly dysfunctional at times. Um, You know, we, yeah, we're blessed to be able to watch him do what he does for as long as he does it. Yeah, so there's a bit to to work through there, Um, Brad. Uh, good team. I think you you got you got pretty close, um, but there's a lot of preseason to go. And as you said, Hawthorne had a pretty good run with injuries this year. Um, so let's hope that uh, they looked after the injury got looked after in preseason, and they can have pretty much a full list to choose from in round one. Okay, so we're going to finish off now um, by going through these teams I picked. The trade all st- – well, there are three teams. There was the uh, – what do I call them? I call them the trade uh, the trade team all-stars, the trade team – the trade period duds and the trade t- period in-betweeners. Um, so I'm going to run through each of the teams quickly in order of ability and uh, and get some feedback on what I missed. Now, apologies. As a couple of you pointed out, two players I missed – when I did these all together, was uh, uh, Jack Scrimshaw and Carl Amon. Didn't make any of the teams. Uh, I think they probably both would have made it this stage to the intermediate team. Probably haven't done enough yet to earn their stripes to get in the the all-star team. So I did miss out on those. So we'll go through the um, the team of duds first. Some of the older people listening in will remember some of these players. I, I, I went back into the... Uh, having watched Hawthorne for you know, more than 40 years... Fifty years, some of these, some of these names, but uh, over these three teams, but I had a bit of fun doing it. So, the, the dud team and uh, only dud. They played league foot. They put, all played more league games of league footy than any of us did. So, to call them duds probably a bit harsh. But anyway, so the full back line was Michael Hartley, Austin McCrab, Mark Bunn. Half back was Weezy's favourite player, Jason Danielchenko, Randall Bone, your favourite player, Brad, and Barry Young. Then the centre line was Demetrio. Lance Pacioni, Leon Higgins, half forwards, Roger Ellingworth, Ty Vickery, Tim Allen, forwards with Brett O'Farrell, Jonathan Patton, Darren Minchington, rucks with Kim Kershaw, Jenna O'Rourke, Grant Fowler, and the interchanges were Stephen Allender, Robert Dutton, Simon Mitten-Connell, Bo Nixon, Kingsley Hunter. Any thoughts on any of those, gents? There's Mitten some names Connell there, that's for sure. Mitten-Connell, Mitten I thought he was a decent player. Well, I think go on. I was just going to say, Ash, the biggest problem with Simon Minton Connell was why do you draft an out and out key forward, uh, a full forward, when you've got one of the best to ever play the game in the same team? How do you make those players coexist? You just can't. It was a head scratching move at the time when they bought Minton Connell because Dunstall was again towards the end of his career, but he still had two or three years to go. And Minton Connell had been playing for, he'd been playing for, he started Carlton and went to Sydney. 
and he came from Sydney to Hawthorne. But he was already in sort of early to mid twenties when he came, so he was sort of close to prime of his career. It was a dumb move that never quite worked out. Um, Jonathan Patton, what are your thoughts on the Jonathan Patton era, Daz? Oh well, you know what? I, I, every time I head up to Queensland, I see John Patton, big John Patton, going for a run up there. I think he's a real estate agent now in Broadbeach, um, and he looks like he's kind of in a very happy place and and good on him. You know, I remember being at Waverley, uh, just watching a, a training set, an early training session, and uh, someone hit him on the lead, and, and Weesey was the most yeah, excited, right. excited man in the universe. So I, I understood that that trade. I think it just went very pear shaped because of some off field uh, and attitudinal issues. Um, but you know, that this is Clark peak Clark own money ball era, trying to rehabilitate players that were either absolutely cooked or well past their prime or didn't love, live up to their promise. I think John O'Rourke is another one that falls into that category. I mean, what was he, pick two or something? He was pick um, two. Which is, it just proves that, you know, the draft is not, it's a lottery in, in many respects. And you pick in players that dominated a junior level, but then for whatever reason can't, pull it together. There's no guarantees that because you, you, you draft number two, you pick two, you're going to be a star. So that, that to me just epitomizes that Clarko Moneyball era. Ty Vickery, another absolute shambolic sh- 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 trade. And we could all see the writing on the wall there. And I think any Richmond supporter would have told us that. So yeah, there's, there's some absolutely head scratching ones. And I, pr- I probably, I probably would have put Scully in this because I thought he was absolutely shocking uh, just the most pointless player, two-way runner that did absolutely nothing except run up and down. So that was, yeah, I think he was unlucky not to be in this team. Well, well I put him in the next team, but it could have been, yeah, if, as I said, I didn't put Carl, if I, I was to put Scrimshaw or Carl Amon in that team, that would probably drop um, Scully back to, to this. And I thought Scully, I didn't, didn't think Scully was too bad, but um, clearly, Daz, you weren't a fan. Um Barry Young, some of the older ones would remember. He was he came from Essendon, and I'm convinced he was at convinced he was sent by Kevin Sheedy to to disrupt Hawthorne. He did nothing there for the 12 months or so that he played. I think he got reported a couple of times and uh, contributed absolutely nothing. Austin McCrabb um, was a strange pickup. He was uh, banished to the outside the huddle by Malcolm Blight at Waverley one day against Hawthorne because I think he had about 10 goals kicked on him by Jason Dunstall. Yet a couple of years later, there he was playing for the Hawks. Michael Hartley was another great club man. I don't think Hawthorne and Minchinton was the same. Danny, I don't think Hawthorne won a game that, that I don't think Hartley nor Minchinton played in a winning Hawthorne team. Yeah, and it's a, it's a shame, especially for Michael Hartley. I know Daz uh, sat down and had a really good chat with him for Hawks Insiders back in the day, and um, he was such a great bloke. Um, so you really want uh, good people to succeed. He just I mean, he kicked a beautiful goal for us. That was that was about all he did. But um, yeah, I, I mean, like Daz said, that was that was really um, Clarkson Moneyball era, like at its absolute prime. Like, who who thinks Darren Minchington is the player that's going to top your list off? Like, like for goodness' sake, you know, the the meatballs just wasn't going to get it done. Uh, the other one I thought was interesting was Steak Knives himself, Bo Nixon. Um, chucked in the uh, the Jordan Lewis pick swap deal with the Pies um, as a bit of a um, as a bit of a giveaway, and 
uh, yeah, definitely didn't um, live up to any sort of expectations there either. I was in the room for that deal when a deal got done watching Neil Baum and uh, John Hook do the deal um, at Princess Park in the old trade room there. Literally, on literally put worked it out in the back of a scrap of paper, um, and it ended up delivering Jordan Lewis to Hawthorne. So it was a very good deal. Okay, so this is the intermediate team now, and. Uh, Better players in here now. Um, a couple you have to go back into time to remember, but uh, worth uh, mentioning. So back, that team for the back line, Sam Frost, James Frawley, Kyle Cheney, halfbacks, Darren Baxter, Stephen Gillam, Darren Kepler, centre line, Simon Cox, Aaron Lord, Tom Scully, half forward, Shane Stevenson, who gets in pretty much for being here at Waverley one day, kicking a goal against the Swans on a broken leg. Jason Taylor, Stuart Trott, Fords, Ron Hooper, Matt Spanger, Michael Byrne, Premiership Ruckman, Ruck, Sean Wren, John Hassel, Anthony Rock, Interchange, Carl Peterson, Terry Moore, Bernie Jones, because he went to Essendon for a year, then came back, Simon Beaumont, Danny Jacobs, and the sub, of course, has to be Jonathan Simpkin, the famous 2013 Premiership sub. Brad, this a few players from the year when you started following Hawthorne. What are your thoughts on that? Not a bad side there. Some absolute pretty good plays. Uh, James Brawley down back that we obviously got from Melbourne. The compensation for Melbourne, what if Melbourne ended up getting pick three for James Brawley after we got pick 19 for Buddy Franklin. So, um, but yeah, some pretty good plays. Ron Hooper was a player who had a bit of a X factor, could have been a really, really good player for us. Um, was Did you mention uh, Darren Kaplan? Darren Kaplan. On a halfback play? Yeah. Underrated player, great player. Uh, left foot player. Really, really underrated player. I thought he was a really, really good player. So, pretty good players there. Stephen Gillen, Premiership halfback. Stuart Trotz, interesting story. That's one for the real old-timers. Um, he played for St Kilda against Hawthorne in the 71 grand final when that rivalry was rugged and fierce. And the Hawks used to belt him every time they played. He'd give it give it a bit back. He fell out Alan Jeans at St Kilda. Hawthorne couldn't get him over quickly enough. He played in the 75 grand final. Team that lost to Northern was just squeezed out in 76, but um, he's one of the old-timers. Matt Spanger, Hawthorne cult singer. Uh, cult singer, Danny? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the one that I um, was just reflecting on um, from my younger days was uh, I was a, I was a massive Simon Cox fan. And, you know, Brad spoke about um, cracking left foot kicks and Darren Kappler was one of those. But Simon Cox the best kick in that, in that intermediate team for sure. He, he had a laser left foot. His, his left foot was a thing of beauty. Um, and, you know, I don't think he really did much else, but, uh, but gee, it was nice to watch him kick the footy. Aaron Lord, um, actually I'm going back to Geelong, but he, he was a pretty good player in that late nineties team that um, an early aughts team under um, Ken Judge and Peter Schwab. He was sort of a, I picked him in the center, but uh, he's probably more of a sort of a half foot flanker, forward pocket. Um, but he gave forth as a good service. John Hassel was uh, no frills, but he was, a, you know, he, he, he again used to play. I picked him in the Ruck Rover here, but he used to run up and down the wing at Waverley back in the days. It's a shame we didn't have Weesey here because Weesey would have – he could write a PhD on the Hawthorne. As we know, you know, his encyclopedic knowledge of the uh, 99 comeback against St Gilda. But these are the players he used to watch back in the day when he loved the Hawthorne first started. Um, Sean Wren, good Ruckman, Brad? Fantastic. Uh, Ruckman obviously came from the uh, Crows. He was, you know, also part of that group of, you know, we've got uh, Salmon as well from uh, the Bombers, Peter Everett from St Kilda. 
he was a really, really good player, Sean. I mean, I think he did his knee a couple of times, didn't he? Which I think, you know, stopped him from having a really, really quality uh, career. But he was a really good player. And a guy on the bench called um, Terry Moore. He's a ruckman who came from North, played for a couple of years, 79 and 80. That famous Michael Roach mark at the MCG, he took over both the Moors, Kelvin Moore and Terry Moore. So that's where he, that might be his claim to fame in Hawthorne. Danny Jacobs also, Daz, he was uh, he came across the Essendon and he was a pretty good player. Yeah, he was Danny Jacobs. Uh, I have a lot of fond memories of him, half half backman. Um, you know, I think there's a few players here that are, that you know there's there's premiership players here, which is uh, just shows how many incredible players we've had over the journey um, to see the likes of you know Spanger and Gillam and Frawley and Simkin, who are all poor. All have more premiership medals than Nathan Buckley in, in, in this team. So, um, yeah, Gillam, I think, was a, a really underrated one on one defender, um, was a, a really key piece of that uh, 2008 premiership team. And I think we really struggled to find a key position player after he left um, from memory. So, yeah, he, he, he was a beauty. All right, so let's go to the All Stars. So, this is the trade period All Stars for Hawthorne. Um, and the back line is uh, from the back line Brent Guerra, Brian Lake, Josh Gibson, halfbacks Jarman Impey, Trent Crowe, Ian Bremner, centre line Ricky Henderson, Tom Mitchell, Joel Smith, half forwards Tony Woods, Peter Everett, Stuart Dew, forwards Jack Gunston, Paul Salmon, Norm Goss, rucks Ben McAvoy, Sean Burgoyne, Russell Green, interchange David Hale, Jago Mira, John Barker, and Chad Wingard. Gentlemen, you've watched all these guys, well, except for Bremen, I watched him play, but he, I'm happy to talk about him. And uh, Norm Goss and Russell Green were more my time. But you've seen the rest of them play. What do you think of this team? Uh, that is a bloody good team, Ash. Um, and I think it shows you, uh, shows us um, just how smart the Hawks have been in finding those players that fill list holes in successful eras and successful teams because the vast majority, not all of those players, but the vast majority of those players I would suggest have won premierships at Hawthorne. And, um, you know, some of those guys were handpicked um, in our most recent, you know, successful period to plug and play in holes where, um, you know, we may have struggled a little bit. I, and I can, you know, go across, go through there. Uh, clearly, Brian Lake, what an inspired trade that was. Um you know, Sean Burgoyne was another one. Ben McAvoy was another one. These were um, people that we identified who were not only um, f- fantastic players, but added to the to the culture of the team in different ways. Brian Lake was obviously a bit of an odd cat, but um, Ben McAvoy ended up captaining the footy club. Sean Burgoyne is Sean Burgoyne. Um, so, yeah, look, some phenomenal players there, Um you know, and, you know, I think uh, real reflection of some of the fantastic work at trade period that our recruiting staff have done in previous years. So I picked Salmon at full forward, even though he was a, he's actually in the team centuries of Ruckman, only because they had to put him somewhere and Ben McAvoy has to go in and he could really only play Ruck in this team. Um, I had a bit of feedback on the Substack about Tony Woods, but I think we forget Tony Woods was a really, really important part of some good Hawthorne teams at the turn of the century because he could play both ways. He, he, he was probably one better shutdown midfielders Hawthorne have had uh, at a time now because it's only become a really important part of the game. So I'm very happy to put him in there. Stuart Dew, really, I mean, there's the better players 
but some players in the intermediate team, Daz, who have better careers and longer careers at Hawthorne, but how can you not put Stuart Dill in for six minutes of football? Yeah, I mean, some of the most incredible memories of my footballing, um, my, my life supporting Hawthorne. So I, I absolutely back him in there. And that was just any the most unlikely, you know, hero of that of, of, of that premiership side, really. And for Clarko to kind of, I don't know, there, there was that's the genius of Clarko in. in in, in taking someone like Stuart June and thinking that that was the, the person. And, you know, he couldn't have scripted what happened, um, but he was in there for a, a reason and he absolutely suited that sort of, you know, a team of left left foot line-breaking, um, penetrating kicks. And uh, it was it was a bit of a genius trade, that one. I just absolutely, Clarko was playing 3D chess at that point. So David Hale is a player that ever since he retired, Hawthorne's been looking for a David Hale type, haven't they, Brad? Absolutely. He was a quality player and a great kick uh, for goal. And he was able to play ruck as well pretty well. I think you'd probably say was 70% forward, 30% ruck, but quality player in both positions. I think Max Ramsden can hopefully become that type of player. I think I see a bit of Hale in him. Um, but Hale had a great mark and a great kick uh, for goal. So he was a quality player, and I think he was an underrated player. And just to explain, hey, go on. No? No. Nothing. So just to explain, Ian Bremner to everybody, he played he played one game for Collingwood in 1966 in the year that they lost the grand final. Came to Hawthorne the following year, played at Hawthorne for 10 seasons, was tough, rugged. He used to... Um, he used to. He was the first of the unsociable hawks, and that was a trainee because any time he suggested, he, he sensed that a player, a young reserves player, might take his spot on the side on the halfback flank. He would demand to play on him in match practice, and he'd usually sort him out. Um, and so his spot on the side, uh, pretty much was not threatened for ten years. But he was a wonderful, wonderful player in what was a really tough era of football. The Russell Green story, so well known, was. Uh, Picked a play for St Kilda on a Thursday night. Got a phone call the following morning from Don Scott saying, we're trading for you, coming to Hawthorne. Turned up at Waverley the Saturday. No one knew who was in the side um, and played that day and then got a kick up the bum at the end of the year because he was almost dropped. Alan Jeans came in as coach, um, who he knew from St Kilda, turned his career around and Russell Green became the most wonderful player for Hawthorne through the first of the golden eras. Before we finish up on these, I've put O'Meara and Wingard in there. Is that controversial or do you think on balance of their contributions they actually were, they've done enough to get to, into this team? Oh. Uh, I, yeah, so does. I mean, what have they done? Like, <laughs> they, they've, they played some really good games and Chad's given us some incredibly exciting moments and hopefully there's more to come, but... That's a very forgettable era for me. Uh, the, the past six or seven, you know, that 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 kind of Clarko money ball, just yeah. I think Wingard, Wingard and Amira, are two people that epitomised that that era, unfortunately. And um, you know, Jager was a great clubman, I think, and he had some games where he really, you know, I can't, I'll never, you know, forget some of those. I think it was uh, just him icing that. Um, was it the Bombers game or Geelong? I can't remember. But um, the Geelong game last year. Yeah, it was a Geelong game. That's that's my best memory of, of Jager. But yeah, 
bit of a bit of a bust of a trade. It didn't really work out in the way that we wanted wanted it to. Anyway, it was a bit of fun. Um, I started working on the reverse one now, which is the um, the players that have left Hawthorne, and it was very easy to come up with a. Uh, I've sort of stood into three. Um, the players we were just you know uh, yeah good riddance to happy to let go. Then I've got the um, then the all star team is looking reasonably strong as well. The players that we didn't really you know why why do we let these players go? But then the list <coughs> the other team of players who played the best footy at Hawthorne and then went to other teams. It's up to about thirty two players at the moment. So I'm trying to work out whether I can actually make it four teams. Uh, so I thought I'd do this one quite soon. It's actually take me a bit longer. It might be a sort of a summer special. These teams were a lot of fun to do, but it's it's I'm having a, a whale of a time, or a bugger of a time trying to whittle it down, this, this intermediate team, because so many players played really good footy at Hawthorne and went to other clubs. I mean, talk about some of the all-time greats of the club, yeah, Jordan Lewis and Luke Hodge, Sam Mitchell, three, for example, straight away who, who go into that sort of team. So trying to work out, and, and Jack Gunson's another one now, obviously, as well. So just trying to work out how, how that team will go. Maybe it's a two-parter yeah, but- that one, yeah, it'll. Uh, I'll, I'll make it work, but it's going to take a bit longer than I thought. It might be one, as I said, for for the summer. Let's look at some questions and some feedback before we go. Some of them we've already got to. Um, we've got one here from Walk to you, Danny. Thoughts on where Sean Manor from Werribee goes in the draft? Do Hawks take him if he slips to the forties? Mad not to, in my opinion. If North takes Dursman and McKercher, would you trade four and six? And would you trade four for six and eleven if they agree? And does Calcio Deer get rookie spot or primary? We'll deal more in the draft in the next um, couple of weeks. Daddy, you got any quick thoughts on any, any of those? Yeah, I don't think um, Sean Manor is the type of player age profile-wise we should be targeting. Um, good good player, but, you know, 26, 27, I, I, I don't think we need to do that at this stage of our rebuild. Um, I would pull the trigger on four for six and 11, every day of the week. I think um, this can address another question by somebody else in the chat around Conor O'Sullivan. You could potentially pick up Conor O'Sullivan, who is a key defender, out-and-out key defender, 198 centimetres, fairly strong, um, long-armed. I liken him a little bit to Harris Andrews. Um, So, you know, you could pick him up and potentially maybe even a Nate Caddy to address the forward line long-term and defend and the back line long-term. So, you know, that would be, if Melbourne were keen to do that on draft night, that'd be something if Dersma was off the board that I'd be, uh, I'd be absolutely all over. And Kalsha Deer is a very interesting one. I think uh, we've, you know, done a podcast on him. Um, I've written some, uh, some pieces on him throughout the year. He's come with a bullet and um, the Hawks have nominated him as a father son prospect, uh, which I think is really exciting. Um, I'm really bullish on Kalsha Deer. I think he has plenty of AFL quality attributes. Uh, I think he's quite raw and I think he'll take a long time. I want to see him on Hawthorne's list. That's all I'll say. Um, I think he will probably be bid on later in the draft and I think the Hawks will end up matching him, matching the bid on him. Um, I don't think he'll last to the rookie list, but it would be great if he did because uh, it just gives the Hawks a little bit more flexibility. But I think... His ability to impact a game um, in multiple ways will see him bid on in the draft. Walker's picked his team. We'll go through very quickly his best uh, his best twenty two: Hardwick, Bank, Impey, Weddell, Scrimshaw, Sicily, Ward, Newcomb, Amon, 
Moore, Gunston, Ginevan, Chol, Lewis, Bruce, Reeves, Nash Day, Inter, Warple, McKenzie, McDonald, Shams Mitchell, McGuinness and Husswaite. It is fairly similar to what Brad came up with. Thanks for that, Wok. Uh, from Gullion, our Sullivan is who we need if we generally need a big fullback. Already 198 centimetres and re- built reasonably solid. Only way to get him is to trade down for two picks. Um, it's been addressed. From Mick, small fours, Butler, I Sullivan, Bennett. Agree with Daniel Watson's height. Does Daniel play a position or does he play a role as a distributor? Um, from Mick, another one about Frankston. Parking is an issue at Frankston. Yeah, I understand it's not the easiest ground in the world to get to. Um, and uh, from Phineas, I heard Andy Gower say at our AFLW game in the NT, the club is exploring playing games there. This will be a good move considering clubs have tried playing games there and got out quickly. I'm not sure if we're talking about NT or Northern Queensland because the game was in Northern Queensland, but I think, as we've talked about before, once Tassie doors shut, Hawthorne would be mad not to explore uh, a new second home base. I've always said they should look at playing a home game at Optus Stadium against a team like North Melbourne that, that has a big following in WA um, as one idea, but I think they are looking, I think they are dipping their toe in the water in far north Queensland and Hawthorne would be a good chance to make it work a hell of a lot better than other teams have uh, before. Hawk 12 says, we'd love it if whoever we pick up at our first pick in the draft plays round one. Uh, well, if it's Watson, he'd be a chance. If it's Curtin, probably won't be ready yet. From Patrick, reckon with the new stand, could we get a game in Geelong this year? Well, it could be against Geelong, but it'll be the second time we played them. The first time we played Geelong, it'll be at the MCG. It'll be Hawthorne's turn to play at home. But I reckon there'd be a possibility that Hawthorne could well play away games against Geelong at Geelong uh, down the track, I think. Um, but not the Easter Monday game. The Easter Monday game is a standalone game that the AFL love. And even last year with the Hawks, you know, the slow start to the year still got mid-60s to that game, so it's a bit of a, a, a marquee game. Um, for Mick, Min Connell's Hutto's nephew, I think. I think that is right. Um, and that is the questions for this week. So thank you, everybody, for taking part in the spaces tonight. I think we've covered everything across. I think we will be back next week to continue our build-up to the draft and any other news that might be coming out of the Hawks. Um Danny, any housekeeping need to take care of before we go? No, if uh, people uh, have been enjoying the off-season content, Ash, there's been a fair bit of it in recent weeks, which is really good. We've got a couple of cracking pieces coming up as well. One I'm really excited for people to read that Morris done, uh, a bit of a long-form uh, look into some various Hawthorne youngsters and good, how they compare. This is a good piece. This is highly recommended. It's it still makes me feel very good about things. Yeah, and and Mora is a stats guy, and he's really dove deep into some of the stats and comparisons. And uh, and so what I'm saying here, people, is uh, it's definitely worth jumping on um, to subscribe to what we do here at the Hawks Insiders. Um, you know, five dollars a month, uh, fifty dollars a year is uh, well worth the price of admission. And uh, Morris' piece is one to keep an eye out for. So yeah, there it is. So we have Paul said from Weesey. Thank you, Brad. Thanks, all. Thank you, Darren. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, always great to be back. Yeah, good to chat to everybody. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week on Hawks Insiders. Uh, though you're making the trip, enjoy the drive down to Geelong for the final AFLW game of the year for the Hawks. Um, we'll review that next week and look at various other things as well. So thanks for joining us. 
Uh, have a great weekend and uh, stay safe. Talk to you soon. This was another Hawks Insiders production. Make sure to subscribe to our Substack for wall-to-wall Hawthorne footy club coverage.